And we are live with our 126th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, ignoring my co-host's hand signals. <laughs> Joined by my co-host, speaking of Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey everybody. It's gonna be one of those days. <laughs> oh um yeah, life just gets really busy. Uh, welcome to episode 126. We got a couple of good topics to get through today. Um, I think life has just been crazy for for both of us. I think everybody right now. So it's not surprising that you know things are just kind of rolling along, waiting to get vaccines, whatever else. I, I got you know way you know way too much. I know you do too, Ken. Way too much going on. I've even got to mm. go do college visits with my uh, daughter this week. Um, so yeah. Oh my goodness. Feels crazy. That's what, that's where this gray comes from is, you know, trying to, uh, yeah. Yes. I've got some coming in myself now. Yeah. Yep. Um, as far as stuff going on, um, yeah, I don't think there, there's a lot, um, realistically we don't have, I think everybody's, waiting with bated breath to, to see what conferences are going to happen. I know we got hit up or I got hit up a couple of times about doing some virtual stuff in June that I don't know if we're going to, you know, necessarily jump on or not. Um, but we, you know, we are going to be discussing midsummers again at some point um, that that is in the works, but we don't have it quite locked down. So we're not going to make any announcements yet other, other than it's coming. And yeah, I don't know. Can you have anything else? Yeah. So from last week's folks who emailed in live, I had shipped their swag. So Larry and Alex, your stuff's on the way. Sweet. Um, and at some point in the podcast, you, if in the next hour, someone, uh, actually I'm going to hold off on that announcement until a little bit later. Anyways. So yeah, there's stuff's in the mail. Um, but besides that, not a whole lot. I mean, I know we have a few things to talk about. Uh, one of them ties directly into something I was going to talk about today. So, or announce, so it works out well. Yeah, I guess that's, Oh, and uh, I was going to mention actually, so I am now in the process of scheduling. We've got a couple speakers lined up. Uh, the, <laughs> it's going to be interest. There's going to be some interesting interviews coming up um, in April. Um, so for those who don't know, we usually schedule our guests in, I do it in waves, honestly, batches. So now we're starting for the spring and the summer. Um, so yeah, we're reaching out. If there's any speakers you'd like to see on the show, you can email us at absoluteapsec at gmail.com. Again, if there's anybody you're dying to hear from, you'd like, uh, back on the podcast, whatever, or someone who's never been on, just hit us up absoluteapsec at gmail.com for your suggestions. Also, if there are any topics you want us to talk about, um, we pretty much pull out uh, you know, whatever's kind of timely and whatever people have mentioned being interested in. And uh, today, for instance, we're going over a Twitter question. Um, but yeah, so just send us questions, anything you want to see on the show. Uh, and we'll, yeah, get, get that scheduled and I, discuss. I did want to, yeah, I, I did want to to bring up one thing. I, I, I mean, a shout out to Clint as always, right? His TLDR sex stuff is is very timely and interesting. Um, yes. the one thing I pulled out of there this last week was Netflix security's YouTube channel where they post all the talks from their security people. Asta apparently passed it along to Clint, um, and Asta we've had on before. And anyway, it was just like, a, Hey, this is kind of cool. Um, if you haven't seen it, there's a lot of good detail there on how Netflix does things. And I, I know we refer back to Netflix quite often, um, mainly because they are doing things at scale and their product security team has the whole paved path thing down, um, how they support pushing applications out. And I mean, it's just a very, very in innovative environment. And I know they're always hiring as well, right? Like Asta typically hits every time I talk to her about it. Um, they've got a position that's open. So Jay I think Jason Chan's still over there too. Anyway, um, check out that uh, channel. There's a lot of good info there. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to bring that up before we jumped into to either of these topics, but maybe let's let's jump into Daniel um, and uh, his his Twitter question, right? His tweet. Uh, Daniel is 
I, he's been on the podcast. I think he was during, um, you know, uh, AppSec Day, right? That one that we did live from Melbourne last year, whenever we did that in the before times, <laughs> right? 2019, <laughs> before I think. Times. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Daniel helps organize AppSec Day along with Julian um, and Melbourne. If you ever get the opportunity to get down there, that you know, go for it. That's a great conference, great people. But uh, let's let's post out his question. I, I mean, I thought it was rather interesting. Uh, so, you know what? Actually, and this is not to do with Daniel's tweet, but Daniel had asked, and there were some of our folks internationally, uh, at least one other person from Australia, one other person from Europe, who had uh, mentioned wanting to do like a virtual happy hour, kind of just meet up because they're you know, everyone's, everyone's got a different level of lockdown and some people are more indoors than, than, than others. So um, we should basically consider at some point, Seth, doing like a, ha- uh, like a happy hour, virtual happy hour on a, a absolute upset. But uh, yeah, anyways, I don't want to yeah. distract. So yeah. Nope. Nope. That's good. So yeah, you posted that in. Well, yeah, let me just copy the question out, right? Directly. Yeah. Yeah. I posted the link uh, to it, but yeah. Yep. But I want to, yeah, I'm going to drop it in and, and stream yard or in YouTube. Um, okay. So the question from Daniel is, and I'll pose this to you, Ken, cause I, I did answer him cause he, he tagged us in it. Um, but what capability skills knowledge do you think is baseline essential for a person new to AppSec to be hired into an AppSec role? Let's start there. Yeah, I, I did also look at the thread and I saw some of the recommendations and I, I respectfully have to disagree with, uh, with some of the recommendations. Um, okay. Not your, not yours, not yours, but, uh, um, cause I think you touched upon what, what I, what I would like to say, which is, so the first thing is, I don't think you need to come in and understand SDLCs. I don't think you need to come in and be, super engineering, heavily focused, knowledgeable. I don't think any of those things. I mean, I think the reality is um, if you're talking about the entry level to AppSec, like we should break down. And and the reason I, this is on my mind, I was telling you before the podcast, because at GitHub uh, here in a couple of days or a day or two, I have um, two roles that will be opening up externally facing. They are for bounty they're bounty support engineers. So imagine uh, bounty submissions that come in, we need a first line level triager. And so that, that involves some customer service skills, some basic level of web security uh, knowledge. And uh, that's the point I want to touch on here in a second. Um, you know, empathetic person, somebody who knows how to communicate, who's actually interested in this stuff, right? I mean, if you're, if you're getting bounty submissions and you're like, oh, another one, then yeah, you're not right for the role, right? Like that's, this is your job. That's what you should enjoy uh, is digging into these things and learning from them. Um, so that's kind of what, what we're, what we're going to be posting soon. Um, okay. And because of that, I did have to write up an entire rubric and the team worked together to build this rubric. And uh, I think we should cover some of the technical bits. Right. Okay. I, I, I think it's pretty universal to say you should be a good communicator. You should be um, a person who, uh, you know, it's like I said, empathetic, uh, decent emotional intelligence. Those things will get you a, a long way as, as just as, as any role as a human being. But I think um, going to the technical side of things, you know, everybody was kind of focused on, like I said, on the thread and like in past um so in the thread and like in past conversations, what I've heard is a lot of, you know, like, oh, you should know this, you should know that for, for software development and for uh, just like, yeah, I don't know, engineering related things. But I think what's more important is to look at what skills you come with and then what things you can improve on. So if you come in and you're not like, let's say you have some familiar familiarity with Zap and Burp and you know some of the basics of web security. And especially if you've taught yourself a little bit of programming, and I mean like enough that you can competently read a script that somebody wrote, I think you're okay to start out with. Um, The most important aspects of, I think, uh, 
AppSec is your ability to think critically, your ability to be curious and dig deeper and um, some level of ability to work through uh, just problem solving. Problem solving is a big part of what we do. The ability to find out the answers yourself is a big one. Um, so like what I mean by that is, you know, it, it, it's not beneficial for you to ask every question under the sun of your teammates, right? And I don't think you would feel good doing that. I think there are certain things you should you should work to figure out on your own. And when you come to a point where you can no longer find the answer or, you know, maybe um, it's a complex situation, you know, you can talk to some of the senior members um, in, in those cases. But I think on the whole, like you should be doing your digging first and you should have that sort of like research driven approach. Uh, I think that those are it's weird to say, but those are kind of the things that like I find to be a little bit for entry level AppSec person, like, for instance, I think I talked about it the last episode of the episode before where I had interviewed Mike McCabe. Uh, he had IT background an IT background um, and a bit of soft, a little bit of software engineering, but more, more so like he was scripting things up for IT purposes. And, um, you know, I talked about how the interview process ran where I gave him some critical thinking scenarios and just walked away. And cause we didn't want to like pressure him for time. I think that was under the context of that conversation it was about, poor interviewing skills, um, yeah. like putting people under pressure. But anyways, um, yeah, go, so going back to it, uh, I just think that I'm getting distracted by my phone, by the way, I need to put it down. Someone's calling me. I don't know what they're, uh, calling me for, but anyways, um, yeah. So like going back to it, I think, uh, when you, when you interview folks, um, or sorry, when you're looking for folks, one of the things I looked for with Mike was his critical thinking, his patience, his curiosity, how I asked him how he would find answers. Those are the things I'm more interested in. If you have some basic level of scripting and you can read scripts, like that's enough to get started. I think you should have um, invested time into using, like I'm not looking for someone that is doing hardcore source code analysis in the beginning. I don't know about you, Seth. That's not my like, it's not my primary thing I'm looking for in an entry level role. I want somebody who well, can like fire up a tool like burp and then get started and like and have figure some, it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, well, and that's, that, that's where like some of those responses that initially popped in there, I, I didn't want to be too contrarian because that's not my nature. Right. But yeah. uh, you know, when, when the tweets came in, I'm like, this is a junior role, right? Like I'm not expecting someone to realize, to know, all the different aspects of what application security and product security are. Um, I'm looking for drive, passion, like exactly what you're saying. Like someone who's going to jump in and figure it out, who's got the ability to work with me and to go do a task, even if it's going to take them a little bit longer, um, as opposed to, hey, they're the, you know, the top developer in the organization or whatever, right? Like it just, well, and they're going to get the experience. Yeah, Pat, you mentioned passion, and I just want to address that because people look at that as like a negative term. And um, so, in the term, in, in a job listing that says passionate, and someone uh, you know maybe gets in an interview and keeps talking about passion, um, there are warning signs occasionally where it's like, okay, what we really mean is we want you to devote your life to this company. That that's different, right? We we, okay. we what Seth's talking about with passion is he's talking about it true, and this is the way I feel a true interest in what you do for a living. Like you, like for me, for instance, last night I was, it was like 10 o'clock at night. I had some free time. I chose to get on and just read about security news and the, the more, the more interesting things going on. Why? Because I've been doing this a long time and I'm still interested. And so that's the kind of passion I think you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I Dedication to any one company or any one product is not necessarily what I what I'm looking at, right? And what I'm looking for, um, and I'm not looking for I, when I'm when I say passion as well, I'm not looking for someone that's willing to put in a hundred hours a week, right? Um, you know, when you're when you're working with me, like okay, be dedicated, you know, do what you're asked to do within a reasonable time frame, right? If you feel like you you want to do extra stuff outside, that's on you. Right. But being able to concentrate and to willing to dig in in the time that's given to you is, is more what I'm looking for. Right. Um, yeah. I, 
and a lot of times, right? Somebody, most of those responses felt to me like, Hey, this is more of a, um, this is someone that's already an AppSec, right? Not necessarily a junior, right? That, that, that's how those came across to me. Yeah. There were some mentions of like, yeah, the SDLC and working with engineers and all that stuff. And it's like, when we talk about the SDLC, it could be like, yeah, bug tracking and, you know, their deploy processes and how PRs get merged in the review process. There's a lot of things that go into it, but like, um, yeah, or an tele- telemetry and all that that's associated and, and, with and it. I, w- I, w- I want to be clear. But that's too, too much. That, that, yeah. The, the reason it's too much is that is very specific to the company that you're going to work with. Yeah. And, you know, what you do at GitHub even though you're owned by Microsoft is very different than what they do at Microsoft, right? Like the development yeah. teams there. And some of that may, there may be some crossover and there's, you know, overarching principles that apply across the board, but um, being an expert at IBM's SDLC doesn't mean that you're going to be able to walk into a startup and be the AppSec guy uh, because they're going to function very differently. So I heard a phrase recently and it was something to the effect of you're getting paid for the the years i i of experience that i've learned you're not paying for the minutes of the work i'm doing mm-hmm. and i think to your point when you become more experienced you'll have seen all the different ways that companies do that right it, it is to your point not a singular approach and as an appsec person that's experience you gain along the way is seeing the various yeah. approaches the cultures uh, engineering cultures impact very heavily what your life will be like if you are uh, working full time for that company. It, it absolutely does. And not every company is the same. And I think that that's when you talk about experience. That's what's brought to the table is a lot of deep information on on um, how different shops run. And but that's again, that's like, yeah, we're talking about that's an experienced person. I agree role. as a junior role. Yeah, you're I think back to when I was a junior role, when I was in a junior, junior role, what, what did I know? Well, I had written code in Ruby because I taught myself to program in Ruby first. Um, I had done some Perl, uh, not much. Wasn't a huge fan, but it's fine. It's like similar enough. Um, done some PHP, you know, a little bit of programming, right? Like just, to, and I think I even messed with some dot or uh, not, it wouldn't have been dot net. It would been classic ASP back then. Uh, and specifically like with SQL queries. Wow, you're old. SQL. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You just waited to get that in. Uh, yeah. So like um, when I, but when I came into it, you know, I really just had a very fundamental understanding of code, like enough to get things to run, but not enough to understand like opinions and why you would do certain things and all of the various bits that you learn along the way of how to refactor and build beautiful code and all that stuff. Um I didn't know any of that back then. I knew very rudimentary bits and um, crypto um, security things. Um, eh, it's okay. Really. I spent a lot of time in the very beginning with, um, with like tools, like uh, tools and the web app hackers handbook and learning all those various fundamental security flaws that get put into applications and how to test for them dynamically. Um, so that was my story and how I started. Now, later with you and Fishnet, I um, started doing source code review more heavily, and then that kind of splintered off. But again, those are skills gained after the fact. I think during the fact, you don't need to. Anyways, this is my this is my opinion, and I do want to put out there once again: we are, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm in a shill, whatever. I don't care. We do this podcast for free, so listen. Two jobs are coming out. I'm going to share those links. Um, they're for bounty support roles. This is more of an entry level appsec sort of. AppSec sort of, you're definitely going to deal with AppSec stuff um, and uh, some customer service uh, to it as well. So sorry, Seth, that was long winded, but I was just wanted to make sure it's all also, like I told you before the podcast, super tired at the moment. So just trying to, trying, trying to hang to in there. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's valid thoughts and uh, I don't know, like we, we spent a, a fair amount of time, especially early in the, the podcast when we started asking people what their path to infosec or into application security was right mm-hmm. 
um, like what their background was. I, you know, I, I know specifically talking to Stefan and Kevin and, you know, a lot of these other people that have come on the podcast, um, we, and anyway, but the, the, the thing that always struck me is there was no, there's no one true way, right? There's not no. one thing that you need to learn, but most of, most of these people had similar traits as far as sharing knowledge, being again, like interested in what's going on in the industry, constantly kind of adding to their own bucket. Um, and cause I know people that have come from the, you know, the information security side of things or the network security side of things into application security and they pick it up just fine. And I know no others that have just, you know, failed miserably because of their kind of tool dependence and other things. Right. And so it, you know, there's, there's not one aspect outside of, Hey, it's something that you want to do. You keep working at it. And eventually the, the opportunity is going to come around for you to jump in and to contribute. Um, yeah. I don't, and this is the thing. I don't think AppSec is so special that it's like, Oh, you, um, you have to be this special unicorn to be able to have this position. Realistically, most things can be learned by human beings. What, how talented you are and how good you get at it and what that means for you as an individual in your career is up to you. I can teach, I can teach anybody. I guarantee you, I can teach anybody to fire up burp. Okay. Most anyone I'll say that most anyone with a functional level, average level skill set in anything, I can teach them to, to do a bit of AppSec for sure. How far they want to go with it, how many years they want to dedicate, how deep do they want to get into it? What aspects of AppSec? Because, you know, we think one of the things on that thread was um, the, the career uh, field um the focus is small and uh, some people end up reverting back to uh, some people who came from engineering backgrounds and dipped their toe in AppSec. They left, they went back to engineering. Um, what, what they were doing wasn't for them. And there are yeah. a lot of things to do within AppSec. Sometimes you get stuck into a place where it feels like they're, they're, you might be limited, but I, I guarantee you there's a lot you can do within AppSec. So what I'm trying to say is I think anybody can do, can at least do an entry level where you go from there and how far you you go is up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up to Seth. It's not up to anybody else. There's no gatekeeping here. You know, the books are free. They're out there. They're PDF versions. The YouTube videos that are out there for tutorials, the tools that are out there, most of them are free. This is you that's limiting yourself, if anything, you know? And so that, I guess what I'm trying to say is anybody can be an entry-level AppSec person. Where they go from there is up to them. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, I think part of Daniel's question, right, the second fact there is, or the second question was, what does such a role look like, right? Mm, right. Um, and, uh, you know, this is more of, hey, I'm designing this for a junior person to come in. Um, and, and, and I think this is what you're touching on, right, is application okay. security now compromise, um, comprises of so many different, like, aspects of security, right? It's not just... You know, the dynamic, you know, red team pen testing that, you know, it was 15 years ago when we got in, involved, right? Um, yeah. That was that was by far the most prevalent activity that anyone did in application security. And that's what people thought of when they did application security. And I know back then that's why we lost some of those people that were coming from the development background is they're like, okay, this is just like, integration testing, right? Like it's my favorite, if my favorite line is, you know, application security is just, or security testing is just poorly done unit testing, right? <laughs> that we document badly. Um, but, or yeah, QA testing, whatever. We're glorified QA testers. Um, totally. But we lost some of those people that went back to design like security products and security features for companies because it wasn't their cup of tea and it doesn't have to be. And as a junior stepping into that role, that's what you need to realize is just because maybe you don't like, you know, secure code review, uh, you know, doesn't mean that you won't like some of the other aspects or doing threat modeling or building out security requirements or actually building security products or doing like encryption. Like there, there's so many different aspects that end up rolling into application security nowadays that, there should be a niche that you can find. 
And if I'm designing a role for a junior, that's what I'm going to start to look at is how do I get them experience across the SDLC? That's my job as a manager or as a, you know, an industry professional that has experience is to give them some taste across the board of what it's like so that they can find their passion and they can run with it. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think. That, that's yeah, perfect. You're right. That is on you to get as a manager to give, to help them spread their wings, so to speak. I think I feel that like when you said that, that really, that re- really resonated with me. Cause that's a current, that's currently something I'm, I'm trying to figure out is how to, how to do that with people that want to expand their skill set. Yeah. So, yeah. And, Cause that's where we lose people. I mean, I know for me, right. If I had to do the same thing, if I was still stuck finding cross-site scripting, right. I'd, I'd probably start going a little insane because, you know, we've done that so many times. It doesn't mean that it's not still interesting to find it, but if that's the only aspect and the dynamic testing is all that I'm allowed to do, um, it starts to feel like a treadmill that you're just running on day after day after day, and it becomes less interesting. So you start to look outside of the industry. If we want to keep the people and the diversity in the industry, we've got to expand out and we've got to give the juniors opportunities to try all of these different aspects. Because it could be that you've got somebody on your hands that may not be great at dynamic testing, but is really good at developing security features into a library that you need to give to developers, right? There's, there, there's other places that their talents could be applied. Yeah. We have a team dedicated to that at GitHub. You know, that's, that's Neil, who's been on the podcast. That's basically what he does, right? Like he is, (laughs) you know, he, I don't think the folks on his team, they're as interested in necessarily testing code or, you know, seeing if they're like finding vulnerabilities and, and all that. That's not really what they, but what they are interested in doing is taking some of the latest web specifications that are security focused, like web often and implementing that into a product. And so there is that ability, like you said, that's still technically AppSec. It's still AppSec. It's just a different focus. Um, the applications, you know, because I was, I was asked by, you know, a junior, a more, not junior, but more less experienced, um, person like what all goes into AppSec, and I'm like, man, it depends on what you're doing. If you're consulting, you might do anything from fixing people's bugs for them, to training them, to doing an entire program analysis on their SDLC. You might come in and just be asked to give guidance on architecture design uh, decisions. You know, there's there's so many things that you can do, and those are like that. What I talked about is just like scratching the surface. I mean, there's so many yeah. little things you you might be asked. I mean, I've seen we you and I have seen um, companies asked to come in and and set up and tune their tooling. You know, I mean, there, there's so many things you could be doing. So you're right. It's it's it is unfortunate when we lose folks to, in this industry because they make some assumptions that this is all there is. But as you move around and you you acquire more, you, you know more experiences, you have the opportunity to, to, to drive your direction. Um, but yeah, coming in as a junior, I just don't think much. I think ultimately what you need is to be a driven person who, um, to be successful long-term, but, uh, to be, to, to be in this role is critical thinking is is a big one, I think. Um, and then like, yes, to say there is no skill involved is bullshit. There's obviously some talent um, that goes into it. Some people's minds just work a little differently, make connections differently. That's for sure. But again, that depends on where you most useful within AppSec. Are you making connections between this thing and that thing to, to chain together vulnerabilities? Or are you better at like designing code and chaining together thoughts in that, that direction, like being defensive? So anyways, man. That, that turned into a longer spiel than we thought. <laughs> yeah, I it did. I, I mean, I think it you know, just, it just goes to show you, like, I mean, we're definitely passionate about it. And I don't know, I, like, I would encourage those of you that are, are experienced in the industry to, you know, share the love as well, right? I, it, it feels like I end up going to lunch every, you know, few months with a student that's thinking about getting into security, right? Or, you know, somebody in the, local community here who's interested and, you know, just wants to talk about what it looks like, how, you know, where they could start that kind of thing. And I've referred people to, okay, you know, consulting firms or, you know, Hey, go be a SOC analyst at the local university. Right. Like, 
and then you can decide from there, hey, what what portion of this am I interested in, right? There's there's so many different avenues to make it into the industry. And yeah. I, I, One of I mean, the best ways if you're in college is to use the CCDC stuff and and to then yeah. after you've done it, go and speak about it. Um, I've seen that happen locally at like the Nova Hackers group. And those folks end up always, and they always end up being like, okay, you're interested in this stuff. You're doing it with because the thing with CCDC type events, I'm not saying only CCDC, I'm just saying those type of events is that they pair you with industry experts that are the red team and then you are the blue team. So you naturally you get to naturally you get to interface with people that are already probably looking to hire or will be looking to hire or know people that are looking to hire and they get to see what you're what you're like and how you deal with stress and how you operate under pressure. And if you can go and speak about that, then you've just connected yourself to even more people. And I feel like that's a really, so yeah. And if you're in college, like, I feel like that's a really great way to, 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 to kind of get some visibility and connections. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, we always say too, right. Jumping into the local meetups, right. Find mm, OWASP, yeah. find your local DEF CON group. Um, right. There's, there's multiple different avenues there. And I, and I know when I start talking DEF CON groups, okay, you're getting a, a little bit outside of application security, but again, it goes back to what are you interested in finding out what, what you feel passionate about and what you can spend your time on. So. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I, I smiled because I thought about just for a second, the difference between an OWASP event and a DEF CON event and uh, how wildly <laughs> different if you, cause yeah, it's funny when you, when you go from like, if you've started in AppSec and you're used to like this, the OWASP side of things and the very professional, you know, almost khaki pants, khaki pants and button up shirt kind of crew. And then uh, who talks, you know, who speak in very, who articulate themselves very well. And, you know, then you get to DEF CON and in contrast, <laughs> every other word's the F-bomb and, you, you know, it's very different purple mohawk and black shirt crowd. And it's kind of funny to watch somebody who's never experienced those differences, experience it for the first time. It first always time. gets, it always cracks me up. It always is hilarious. It's just like, wait, wait, this is, security has like different people <laughs> like yeah very yeah. different cultures for sure yes but not to be mistaken because a lot of us originated from the the black hat the black shirts and the mohawk i mean i have a mohawk right i mean it's a little yeah. long now but you know it, it's just funny to see somebody who's never experienced those differences experience for the first time yeah yep uh, also hopefully we'll get back to this this year what larry uh quoted um so, oh, by the way, I said Larry, didn't I? Was it Larry? I sent a, it wasn't Larry. I sent sent swag to somebody else. Maybe it, maybe it was. I can't remember. It, it, uh, I don't think it was this Larry though. I think it was a Larry. But anyways, um, gosh, this is. Oh no, it's Jason. Sorry, Jason. Jason and uh, Alex, your shirts are on the way. Dang it. Speaking of, it's that time. So before I hop into that real quick, uh, it's twelve forty three. So if by 1 p.m. Uh, or 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you sent an email to absoluteabsec at gmail.com with your T-shirt size, I will get you swag. I've done it now two different times. We'll do it a third. Um, we are running low on the Magic Time shirts now. So if you okay. want to have both an Absolute Absec and a Magic Time shirt, which I'm not even sure if I have all the sizes for Magic Time left, Definitely send an email because those shirts are, this is like a limited edition. Those aren't, we're not doing reprints of those. So if you want that limited edition t-shirt in the next, like say 45 minutes, send an email to absoluteappsec at gmail.com with your t-shirt size. For those that didn't hear that the last time, t-shirt size needed. <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, Larry um, had posted uh, the quote that I was trying to say, which is if I do a job in 30 minutes, it's because I spent 10 years learning how to do that in 30 minutes. You owe me for the years, not the minutes. Uh, Davey Greenberg is the person who had that quote, which is absolutely the truth. It, this is why, um, yeah, this is why you are, as you get more experienced, salary and perks and all that stuff obviously get, you know, more beneficial over time. Uh, cause like that's, that's basically what it comes down to is, you know, you've, you've seen a lot of things and you have answers kind of ready and it's not new to you. And, you know, like 
it might take somebody else five or six hours to validate something and go through the motions and think about a solution and all that. Whereas, you know, if you've seen it a billion times, like, yeah, it's not going to take you long. That's what mm -hmm. they're paying for. So anyways, yep. Um, but uh, do we want to continue on this or do we want to talk about something else? Yeah, maybe let's swing over to the phishing stuff. I, I do want to thank Daniel for, you know, dropping that into to Twitter. Um, at some point, we'll, we'll have to get him back on because uh, he's a good guy. And it's just always trying to line up the the time zones with those. And yeah. yeah, on the other side of the world, that gets that gets difficult. But yeah, we should All right. try to make it happen. Yep. Yeah. So... This was this, this is up was, your this is up your alley. That's why I thought you would like this. <laughs> All right. Well, let me take a look at it. So, uh, what exactly? Because I I didn't get a lot of time reading up on this. So let, let yeah, me skim no. it quick while you you kind of give a rundown. Sure. Yeah. So the the basic gist is uh, these are phishing. You know, like phishing sites distribute some malware, or collect credentials, or whatever. Right. What is interesting is this, these phishing sites actually detect whether or not the browser is coming from a, a virtual machine, which obviously can be trivially bypassed. Um, but if it detects a virtual machine, the gist is it won't show the actual phishing page. However, if it is detecting you know, a regular like non-virtualized machine, it will show the phishing page. And so, like I said, it's trivially, trivi trivial to bypass that, but let's talk about like how that works. So they use WebGL. They, they, so the, the, the WebGL rendering engine allows you to detect uh, essentially like what resolution, um, what is the other thing? There's another, it tells you if it's coming from, uh, it checks the, the height, the width of the screen, and it detects, if the browser is running within a virtual machine through that uh, WebGL hook. So you can, you can make it seem as though like you can override what they're looking for, but the code that's actually in there, it's, pr it's pretty interesting. So it, it basically just like checks um, like uh, debugs, like the unmasked vendor WebGL flag and unmasked what render WebGL um, uh, and then it checks screen width and height and height. It's not that advanced of malware, but it is interesting. This is an interesting one to me because uh, I think it's super, um, people are used to seeing this with malware, right? Because the, the whole point is so that you can't do malware analysis. That's really what it, it comes down to. Yeah. It's to make it harder for cert to like have a sandboxed environment, go look at the, uh, the, the vulnerable either phishing or malware distribution or whatever it is site, you know, in that sandbox environment and do their analysis. And so the idea was for these folks, it's like, if we just prevent that, then boom, you know, our phishing won't be detected, I suppose. Um, I don't know, man. Well, I thought this, that was interesting. <laughs> it is. It's super interesting, right? Like, and, uh, you know, there, there's some, as, as you know, there's been some JavaScript stuff that I've been working on client side, you know, for, for a little while now, research, and hopefully we'll be releasing some of that in the, in the near term, right? In the near future. But um, people forget how much access JavaScript has within the DOM. And, and like, and this goes back to it. I, I mean, we also recently saw the first um, Spectre exploit written in JavaScript. Let me find that this last week. Um, Over here burping, sorry. Trying to burp yeah, into the mic. No, no you're fine. Um, it looks like it was Google that released the Spectre POC exploit for Chrome, um, which was, I mean, basically, so it's just JavaScript to exploit a vulnerability in the chip that you're running on, right? Um, I, I, yeah, and, and a lot of times we still think of JavaScript as this like scripting language that's only available within the browser. It's not really as powerful as everything else, but you and I both know that that's not the case um, because it is just because it's within the browser doesn't mean that it, it can't access these other capabilities on the machine itself. Or, right. you know, the browser exploits themselves have a tendency to break out of those sandboxes and, you know, into different places in the operating system. So, um, but on top of the browser, you're really running a whole like browser operating system that JavaScript has access to. And then anything on the screen, the DOM, the JavaScript, 
yeah, the JavaScript within the page that you're on has access to that DOM and it can change things, right? It can change XML, HTTP requests. It can overwrite and, you know, proxy things off to other places. If you've never played um, with the Beef framework, the browser exploitation framework, you need to go do that just to give you an idea of what's possible because it is, it's extremely powerful once you get access. So it's not super surprising to me that somebody's actually started to do malware analysis or the malware writers have started to take advantage of this um, to cover their tracks. I mean, they've always obfuscated code, right? That's, you know, the, the JavaScript obfuscators have been out there for a long time, but this is just taking it to the next level um, as far as, hey, we're gonna take a look at the environment that we're running in and decide if there is a bot or if it's some sort of malware analysis that's trying to do, trying to trying to be run here. And then if it is, we're actually just going to execute the page as normal, or we're going to display X, Y, and Z instead of ABC. Right. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> you know, we had just talked about how so much is being offloaded to the client side in terms of protection, and so it's it's no doubt it's no surprise that people are um you know trying to bypass uh, those that do basically trying to do powerful things and bypass but what but what i think is funny about this by the way the thing that kind of makes me chuckle is the fact that we have said our entire careers don't rely on client-side controls and then the people that are fishing people are relying on client-side controls to uh to make their detection which is really what i mean what else do you what else do you have here? I'm, I'm sure it's um, it's kind of a nature of the beast, but it is kind of funny that like even the client side controls of an attacker can be bypassed. You know, the web security yeah. principles still are there; they never go away, even if you are the attacker in, the, in this case. So that's pretty funny to me. I got a slight yeah. chuckle. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm dropping up this link too about Google Spectre POC exploit. Right, that's. Uh, um, that came out this last week and it was really interesting to me, you know, finally to see somebody take it to that level. Um, but it also tells me that that's probably going to get exploited more and more. I know most people are patched to this nowadays, um, but yeah, the client, the client and what you present to the client, right? If you have any sort of hole in there, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. What kind of attacks do you typically see pulled off? Because I know you've been spending a bit of time with malware analysis on, um, you know, malicious JavaScript. What kind, what kind of thing? Yeah, and clients. Uh, what, yeah. what do you kind of see there? Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I, I'll be honest. Like, and and I've talked about like to you about this a little bit. And there's there should be a talk coming at some point. Um, Stefan and I have been have been talking about it as well, but. Uh, I don't see as much cross-site scripting, right? Like it, as popular as it is in the bug bounty space, I don't see it being exploited in the wild, right? Um, you know, once in a while it is, and you have those huge, you know, whatever tweet deck or, you know, it has some problem and it takes down a product, but I don't see it, you know, being used necessarily in targeted attacks. I see a lot more of, um, uh, kind of platform attacks when it comes to the client side. So somebody going after you know, WordPress or Shopify plugins, installing their malware, kind of watering hole attacks is what it boils down to. Um, so I, I install a credit card skimmer on a shopping cart in Shopify, and then I just skim those credit cards as everybody goes by and uses that app, right? Um, and they do that via, you know, WordPress or everything else. They find flaws in plugins that people are using or themes. Um, and it, like I said, it's more platform attacks. And I think they're more, they're easily codified and included in those malware packages um, that are sold uh, on the on the black market or on the, you know, in the deep web, right? Whatever you want to call it. Um, because you can target, you can build out, um, a module that goes and it, it looks at WordPress and it says, oh, it looks like you've got this specific theme or this specific plugin installed. We have an exploit for that. We can drop a payload and that payload will do X, Y, and Z. We can create phishing sites on your, your, you know, your WordPress blog. 
Um, we can start to skim data off of it. Um, we can send that data to a third party. We can also you know, do browser analysis and then install malware on client systems after they come to this site. But that seems to be the mechanism. I don't see a lot of, hey, I, I see cross-site scripting and I'm going to use that to target people because I think that takes greater effort, right? Um, if I create, if, even if I find a, uh, especially reflected or DOM-based cross-site scripting, I've got to send that payload out somehow. Um, and, and, and to be fair, I haven't done a lot of analysis on phishing campaigns that are coming out, um, but, you know, just generically and, you know, my, yeah, my, my own analysis of what I see, it's, it's typically the watering hole style attacks where they've taken over some part of a blog and that's where, that's where the phishing link goes to. It's not necessarily a cross-site scripting to, you know, google.com, even though that would be a, you know, a very effective phishing campaign. It, it, it very rarely happens. Or it, I, I mean, I just don't see it. I, I don't know if you guys see that much on the cross-site scripting front. I know you've pretty much killed that class of bugs um, internally with CSP, but. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, you know, it's still even with, yes, you're right. From like a, from a being weaponized standpoint, you're right. Um, but you know, there's still vulnerabilities to pop up occasionally and like CSP blocks it. Um, but you're right. I mean, I don't like, I think I've told you, and this goes back to everybody's experience is going to be different based off the technology they use, the culture, the engineering culture, um, processes, all that stuff. But, uh, here, yeah, I mean, that's probably cross-site scripting is not like our biggest, um, it would be if it did exist for sure. Don't get me wrong. Um, or if we didn't have such a stringent CSP, but um, yeah, you're right. For the most part on uh, the like primary properties uh, that GitHub owns, yeah, you're right. That's not as, not as big of a deal in the sense of it being exploited and all that. Uh, yeah. So it's not something that's super prevalent. Now, authorization related stuff and more nuanced, which you would expect, right? After years of, again, this goes back to like people having different experiences. After years of hardening, after years of architecture decisions and you know, just beefing up security, um, putting on layers upon layers. The the vulns look different today than they would have in 2012 or 2014 or 2016. The vulns of today are um, going to be a little bit different than they would say five or six years ago in, at GitHub. So, I mean, yeah. I'm curious, do you see a lot of like, so you talked about the wallet extraction um, is there any like, do you see like distributed Bitcoin mining or anything like that anymore? I mean, do you see that? Yeah, that, that is, I mean, that is one of the payloads that gets distributed, right? Yeah. Um, the, the JavaScript, like the Monero mining and there's like, it's fairly easy to go find JavaScript that'll do that. And you throw your, uh, you know, your wallet ID or whatever in there and it'll automatically credit that time to whoever it is. Um, I think we, we're seeing more of that at, you know, targeted towards EC2 instas, instances or, you know, places where it's not quite as noticeable, right? If if I go to a website and all of a sudden my, my CPU spikes and it's my client machine, I, I'm just going to kill the browser, right? That's, that's, that, that's pretty commonly what happens. You, you are. I don't know <laughs> if everyone is going to do that. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, if it becomes less usable because, you know, one tab is taking over. Um, yeah, I, I mean, so it, it's still one of those payloads. It's still out there. Um, but I think they've kind of they've switched to to looking for more efficient resources for that. Right. Being able to do it in EC2 or someone else and give the charge to somebody else is, it seems to be the more common route for the the bitcoin and the monero and the you know the, yeah all the cryptocurrency mining uh, it doesn't mean that it doesn't still happen uh, but yeah yeah um uh, but otherwise yeah i'm trying to see what else what else we've seen out there I, I, there's a lot of javascript malware that exists um obviously you know it's sometimes it's 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 a little difficult to pick apart what's what exactly is going on, but the, the mage cart style or the um, Magento, the this, the skimming attacks, the client skimming attacks seem to be the most devastating right now. Um, 
because when you do get something installed on a on a shopping cart, you can pull those credit cards, you can gather them for a long amount of time, people don't seem to notice, and then you start to use those cards after a specific period. So right, you can kind of fade into the background, performing credit card fraud and extracting that back out. Um, and it, it seems to take a little while for people to realize what's going on. So. Well, when your stuff is public, let's go over it. Um, yeah. And I have some research I'm doing on other stuff that's not related to anything other than just my my uh, uh, interest in component uh, web framework. Web, web exploitation framework? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. No, I'm not reviving that. Um, no, the uh, component-oriented web frameworks. Um, oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So... But that's not like you have cool stuff. Mine is just interesting to me. But anyways, um, yeah, man, I think we're coming up to the end of the day. We'll, like, is it cool to cut this, cut this one a little short this week since we're a little yeah. busy? Yeah. Uh, no, we, we're quite all right. And I think we've had a, a good couple discussions. Um, can't remember if we have someone for next week or. No, I'm going to find. Uh, there's actually a couple people I have in mind. I'm going to. Like I said, it's 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 my fault. It's just been so busy between the home renovations, the new puppy. There's just I haven't, you know, I haven't really tried. So if anybody <laughs> has anybody in, I, that's the truth. I just haven't even tried to schedule anybody, and now I am. So uh, and with a little bit of effort, we've got April looking really good right now. So, um, but yeah, like I'll, I think I'm gonna try and get some folks on um, in the next few weeks. Uh, okay. For the next few weeks, I mean, so. Um, cool. and then, uh, what else? That's it. I think that's it. Oh, but again, if you're listening and you haven't gotten swag before and you want it, send an email to absolute appsec at gmail.com in the next like 30 minutes and, uh, give us your t-shirt size and address and, uh, you'll get swag. Yep. And then we will dox you online. No, just kidding. We won't. Um, cool. All right. Well, good talking to you, Ken. Um, yeah, thanks everybody for listening who's here. And you know, please reach out. Please join our Slack channel. Uh, we keep the conversation going there. There's a lot of good people in the in Slack and it seems to be growing. So yeah. Appreciate everyone's time. Take it easy. <laughs>